Many people think too highly of themselves and the condition that they're in. Muhammad Ali, who was one of the greatest athletes of the 20th century and maybe the best boxer of all time, was well known for his high view of himself. He often said of himself, I am the greatest. <clears throat> One day, Ali was on an airplane, and the plane hit major turbulence. The captain ordered all passengers to return to their seat and fasten their seat belts. One of the flight attendants noticed that one of the passengers had not buckled his seat belt. It was Ali, but the flight attendant did not follow boxing and didn't know that it was Muhammad Ali. She approached him and said, Sir, the captain has ordered everyone to buckle up. <clears throat> and he just ignored her. She confronted him again, and, and he continued to ignore her. Finally, she reached down to buckle his seatbelt herself. He quickly grabbed her hand and glared into her eyes and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the young attendant quickly responded, Superman don't need no airplane." Now buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> what a great story. Indeed, sometimes we think too highly of ourselves and the condition that we're in. Welcome to Community Grace and back to the, uh, our return to the Matthew series, Follow the King. We're in chapter 12. I ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12 or turn on your Bibles to chapter 12 of Matthew. Um, you know, the words are on the screen, but when we go through a whole chapter, I think it's great if you have your Bible open so you can scan it. If you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. You can find the sermon notes, a pen, and everything, and follow along. So we're returning back to Matthew after a great uh, creation conference last weekend. How many people were here last weekend for the creation conference? It was a super weekend, and we're just uh, really thrilled about what God is doing here and what he was able to do last weekend. Uh, we're returning to Matthew, and we pick up in chapter 12. Two weeks ago was Matthew chapter 11, and each of these chapters is just so profound. Jesus has so much in them for us. Today is no exception. If you remember several weeks ago, as we were early in the Matthew series, uh, I was explaining that Matthew's content is divided into five broad categories, and here's a picture of those five broad categories once again, and we're right in this middle part, King Jesus' rejection from about chapters 11 through chapter 16. And that's where we are today in chapter 12. Uh, he's, he has proved himself over and over to be the Messiah of God. And, and then he's demonstrated his authority over everything and his power. He's teaching and preaching and is uh, involved in his earthly ministry. But there is rejection and there is battle all the way through now. And we enter today in chapter 12 and into this heavy battle season, and we're going to find battles that are very much a part of our daily lives here today. What does Jesus have for us in the five battles that we're going to look at today in chapter 12? My question for you is, will we harden ourselves before God? Will we harden our hearts, or will we humble ourselves before him and lift him up highly rather than ourselves? The two could not produce more opposite results in our lives. So let's look at what Jesus has for us today between the battle of a hard heart and the battle of a hum humble heart. What, what are the battles? What are the stakes? What are the rewards? Let's find out from King Jesus today. We enter the first battle here in chapter 12, verse 1, legalism versus the Lord of the Sabbath. 
Battle number one, legalism versus the Lord of the Sabbath. The first battle was between the Pharisees and Jesus. The Pharisees were hardcore legalists, and we naturally are too. Let me define legalism. Legalism is strict adherence to the letter of the law. Doctrinally, it's the doctrine of, that salvation is earned through good works, earned through our good works. Legalism involves working in our own power to earn God's favor on us. If we do certain things, then we can be righteous or superior to other people, and if we fail, we are devastated. We are consumed with both success and failure. Now, we are born with legalistic hearts. It's important for you to know this, that, hu that legalism is the human default system. That's what we default to. And all religions in human history revolve around this, around earning God's favor or earning a place in God's presence or earning to be a God of our own. Except Christianity, which receives what Jesus earned. And that is good news. Now, Christians have to be careful of this as well. Even saved by Jesus' works, saved by his grace through our faith in him, even that, we can still fall into legalism very easily as well because it's our human default system. Let's enter this battle. Legalism versus Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck the, pluck the heads of grain and to eat. All right, got something wrong here, according to the Pharisees. Verse 2, but when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Jesus always had such deep replies. Hang with him in his reply here. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So he's pulling up a couple of examples that they would be very familiar with to say, look, sometimes there are exceptions and you're wrong. Let's understand what was going on here. What was so bad about the disciples plucking the heads of grain, rubbing it in their hands, and eating it on the Sabbath? Why were they saying that's against the law? Did Jesus really break God's law? Of course not. God's law, God's law did not forbid all work on the Sabbath. But the Pharisees over the centuries had added many regulations to God's law. Over 1,500 years since God gave the Mosaic law, Pharisees had been adding law after law and regulation after regulation. Look, the, the law of Moses is only about this thick. And the Midrash is what it's called, those centuries of volumes and volumes of books of extra regulations would fill up an entire library shelf, and they do. Those are extra laws on top of God's law, which had distorted God's law and the spirit behind it so bad, heaping legalistic requirements on people, burden upon burden upon the people, and this is what Jesus came to confront. 
For example, here's some examples to help you know what we're talking about here. God's law was to keep the Sabbath day holy and rest on it, to rest on that Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. Now, to that, over the centuries, the Pharisees had added dozens upon dozens of regulations and called that the law, all the way down to how many steps you can take on the Sabbath, all the way down to you can't even build a fire because that would be work. Now, a fire, I would find that relaxing, right? I saw a news special a few years ago that there's a hotel in New York City that has a special elevator for observant Jews to use that on the Sabbath, it automatically goes up every floor and stops on its own at every floor and then comes back down. Because pushing the floor button on an elevator would create a spark, which is starting a fire on the Sabbath day. Now, do you think that God's law, that's the spirit of God's law? To take it to that extreme and be so punishing? and The Pharisees had declared it wrong to pluck a bit of grain and rub it in one's hand because that would be reaping and threshing on the Sabbath. You see how humans just naturally turn things that God meant for a blessing into a burden, into legalistic requirements. The Pharisees made it a burden, and, and that led people's hearts far from God, and Jesus confronted them here today. Never forget this. Legalism is our human default system. It's who we are, and it takes maturity to grow out of that. That's why our church's new vision statement includes that maturity. It is worship the king, mature together as family, and engage the world. So this is who we are naturally, and our flesh wants to turn us into legalists, into little Pharisees. We grow in the grace of God. This is maturing in Christ. Now, God also had an even bigger purpose for the Sabbath all along for the 1,500 years that it was in place. Every Saturday, as they observed the Sabbath, that holy day of rest was always meant to point to him, Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's look in verse 6. What Jesus says here on that day, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Talking about himself. Greater than the temple. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. If you had any idea what God's law really meant, you wouldn't have condemned my disciples for, for eating on the Sabbath. And then verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Wow. Jesus just claimed to be greater than the temple, the dwelling place of God. Jesus condemns their sacrifices because they were meaningless. They were not for mercy and love. They were for their own legalistic self-righteousness. And then finally, Jesus claims to to be the actual purpose of the Sabbath all along, to fulfill its purpose. He is the Messiah, God himself. The Sabbath always pointed to him and that we find our ultimate rest in him. That's what the Sabbath meant all along. If you were here two weeks ago, you remember chapter 11 ended with this great promise from Jesus. All you who are heavy laden and weary, put your burden on me and my yoke is easy and light. He carries your burdens. He is where we find our ultimate rest in Jesus. 
Hebrews chapter 4 explains this in detail here, and if you want to write that down to study it later, that's a good place to go. Now, this is a comforting revelation to us now who have access to Jesus, but oh, the Pharisees are ticked on that day. This battle is not over, but Jesus, his gloves are off too. Let's continue in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. (laughs) He's not shying away. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Here's the battle. He said to them, Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. This is an amazing interaction in front of people. And here were the, the Pharisees with an opportunity to humble their hearts towards the Messiah of God right in front of them. But verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Hardened hearts. Let me ask you today, what does your battle with legalism look like? It's so easy to take our beliefs in our lives and turn them into rules and then either exalt ourselves or depress ourselves based on how well we perform and use those self-imposed rules as weapons to condemn other people The Pharisees were anything but merciful and understanding and gracious and loving. And ultimately, that leads to a hardened heart toward Jesus. So listen, if God's law doesn't push us toward loving Jesus and loving others more and loving holiness and righteousness, uh, then you're missing the point. So ask yourself, am I a Pharisee right now? Do I have a little Phariseeism in me? Of course we do. And what you notice in your life, root it out, because Jesus can't stand it. That's the battle number one. Legalism versus the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus. The chapter moves on to battle number two. God's servant versus Satan's pawn. Watch closely now. As this battle ensues, what we have in the first part of the section, verses 15 and 16, Jesus, aware of this, that the Pharisees were conspiring to kill him, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them. He's not backing down from his mission. He ordered them not to make it known. He knew what the proper timing was for him to go to the cross. It was still much later from, from then. What we see here is that Jesus, he's not phased by the Pharisees, by their battles, by their accusations, by their plotting to kill him. He's not phased by that at all. He's intent on his mission. And there's a lesson for us here, too. To be intent on our mission of life, on our, what we know is the truth, what, what God has called us to do, despite the accusers. Don't listen to the accusers. You stay faithful to Jesus. Now, for Jesus, fulfilling the entire Old Testament was his mission. And Matthew ties in Isaiah chapter 42 here in these next several verses. 
Isaiah's great prophecy of the, the suffering servant, the humble servant of God. Let's see who the real Jesus is. In Matthew 12, starting in verse 17, this was all to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, God says of his son. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles or to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. He's not going to be a big entertainer, flashy, looking out for himself. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Oh, Jesus is God's promised suffering servant out of his love for us, the king with all authority here to offer hope for the hurting. His mission will not be stopped by the accusers. So then, the chapter continues, and yet another miracle sets up yet another rejection. Uh, more hardened hearts rather than humbled hearts. Verse 22, let's see what happens. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed, and they said, can this be the son of David? Can he really be here? Again, the Pharisees had an opportunity to recognize him for who he was and humble their hearts and come to God, but they hardened their hearts instead. Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Hardened hearts. So hard that they called Jesus evil. And that's being done more and more, increasingly so, in our society today, isn't it? Calling Jesus evil. Such hard, hard hearts against him. Of course, it's a false accusation on every level. And it doesn't even make sense, which Jesus points out now in verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, it doesn't even make any sense, guys. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then listen to this, the kingdom of God has come upon you better pay attention. This is real. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he indeed may plunder his house. He concludes, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So Jesus makes a few points here in his response in this battle of hard hearts. He says, first of all, one who is stronger than Satan is here. Stronger than Satan is here. Infinitely stronger than Satan. He says, if Jesus not work is by the, if Jesus' work is not by the power of Satan, it is by the power of God. And then he says, therefore, neutrality about all this, having no opinion, is not possible. Hear this today, because he's speaking to you. You either respond to Jesus with humbled hearts that lift him high or hardened hearts 
that lift yourself high. There is no middle ground. This is his words. He talks extremely seriously here. There is no neutral ground. Now these facts, stay with me, they lead Jesus to mention the unpardonable sin because he senses they're in danger of making it. He senses that they're in danger of of sinning the unpardonable sin and risking eternal damnation, which raises the question, what is the unpardonable sin? That's a topic that's been very misunderstood and much discussed over the years. Let's talk about it. Verses 31 and 32. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, against himself, will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. All right, notice that Jesus says, first of all, that blasphemy, even against him, can be forgiven to those who repent. And we see that happen all throughout the New Testament, over and over. Jews come and repent and believe, and they're forgiven of their sins. Uh, Roman soldiers, we saw, even some of, the, some of the Pharisees actually come around and repent, and they're forgiven about their mocking and accusing and blaspheming Jesus. Okay, and that's all of us, too. We were once enemies, that enmity with God, until he saved us. So what is this, though? The unpardonable sin, though, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it is not pardonable. And here's why. It's because it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sins. And it's the Holy Spirit who leads us to new life in Jesus. You blaspheme the Holy Spirit means your heart is hard toward him and he's not convicting you of your sins. You're choosing your heart to remain hard and stay in your sins and reject Jesus' forgiveness of your sins his gift of salvation by his grace, by his sacrifice. If your heart, heart is so hard that it's impenetrable to the Holy Spirit, watch out. You are choosing eternal damnation. That's Jesus' words. And so he spoke in these strong terms as a warning because he senses these people are pretty much showing that they're there. I want to ask you, is your heart so hard that you're going to full-on reject Jesus, the, the convicting of the Holy Spirit, that your sin is sin, and you need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, and he's done the work for you? We're in danger. You're in danger, my friend, if you deny the Holy Spirit's invitation. Humble your hearts. Come to life in Jesus. He says, if you don't, you will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Well, the Pharisees, hard hearts, they had so much evidence. They had been surrounded by evidence. They knew the scriptures very well. They knew that Jesus was fulfilling scripture after scripture, prophecy after prophecy. He was demonstrating his power and authority over all the created universe. Well, guess what? We have all of that same thing, too, because the Holy Spirit speaks through God's word primarily. And we have access to God's word, and we've heard and seen God work in our lives and we've heard the gospel preached and proclaimed are you rejecting the Holy Spirit who's speaking to you even now as we look at Matthew chapter 12 
if you were here last weekend, one of the things we noticed is as you study science in every field of science, it all proclaims a creator, a creator's design and love and care. I mean, it's just mind-blowing how much it, all of creation proclaims the creator that the, our soul longs to know. We can know him. It takes a hard heart to say, no, I won't believe it. I won't see it. I don't want him. The Pharisees were doing the same thing. And if you're not humbling your heart to Jesus today, you're doing the exact same thing. For continued hard heart, it will be too late. But God is 100% willing to forgive any humbled heart. Now, how can we be sure of the condition of our heart? It's called the assurance of salvation. And a lot of people kind of get freaked out a little bit. I'm, you know, kind of keep sinning. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. How do I know that my faith in Christ, I have fully given him my humbled heart, and receive his permanent salvation, how can I know? Jesus says that next, that a tree can be known by its fruit. So as you examine your faith, examine the fruit of your life with Jesus' next words. In verse 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And he gives them this test. Examine your heart, examine the fruit of your life. And then he has insights to the Pharisees' true heart and says this in verse 34, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And then he gives us more insight to how we can know our faith, our heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He's going to talk about our words, but it's all about the heart. The good person out of his good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned, because they reveal the true condition of your heart. Examine the words that you say in private with the guys in the shop, whatever it is. Examine the words, the attitude of your words. What kind of heart do they reflect? Are they hard against God or are they humble? doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means that you're sensitive to having a humbled heart, to following Jesus and convicted by the Holy Spirit when you do sin. Is your faith real? It is, Jesus says, the difference between eternal damnation and eternal saving life with him. So let, let me review. Battle, battle number one was legalism. Who is your God? Yourself or him versus Lord of the Sabbath. Battle, battle two was God's servant versus Satan pawn, Satan's pawn. Is Jesus your king? Or are you deciding in your heart that he is not? And I'm going to choose Satan's way. Now the next three battles are contained in Matthew 12 in three short conversations, and not many details surround these conversations, uh, Matthew just gets right to the point, and that's what we will do too. Battle number three, starting in verse 38, is calloused cynic versus growing follower of Jesus. So with their calloused, hardened hearts, the Pharisees who had seen all of these signs and heard all this truth and seen Scripture 
being revealed right in front of themselves. With their hardened, calloused hearts, they ask for a sign, a sensational sign, as if Jesus is nothing more than entertainment. Jesus calls out their wicked hearts. Verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. All the things they've already seen already. And so he answers them, knowing their heart. He says, An evil generation, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. You've already seen and received plenty. So he says, No sign will be given to it except all that's already been given. Going back, he gives a couple of examples. The sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days in the night and nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He predicts his death and resurrection. Now, going back to even the sign of that in Jonah's day, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something much greater than Jonah is here right in front of you. He throws in a second example for good measure. The queen of the south, it's the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He doesn't leave any mystery. He is God. You calloused cynics with hard hearts cannot see God in front of you, revealing himself to you. He's given many signs. The thing is, we have to accept the signs that have been given. The truth of the word which has been told to us, now it's on us to accept it. God has revealed himself to us so many times. We've heard the gospel message. But here's the thing. The, the longer that we keep seeing these things and having our questions answered and, and learning and hearing the word and reading it for ourselves, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, the longer our hearts are calloused against obeying and following Jesus and giving our lives up to him as a sacrifice, the more calloused we get the longer you go without a humble heart, the, the harder and harder your heart gets. And some people have been turning their hearts hard away from God for a long time, and you get a thousand steps down the road, and your heart is so hard, you're never out of reach for the Holy Spirit to crush that hard heart and bring you back to Him. And if you'll let Him and humble your hearts today, He'll bring you totally back and restore you in his time. I mean, how many of you are like me? If I go a couple days just being selfish and not reading the Bible, not praying, just it doesn't take long to drift. Don't do it anymore. Humble your hearts today, and he'll bring you right back in fellowship with him. What's he doing in your life to get your attention to do that? Well, that's through battle. That's the battle number three, calloused cynic versus growing follower of Jesus. Which one will you be after today? Two more quick conversations round out today's battle scene. Battle number four, self-help versus new self. Self-help versus entirely new self. 
the Pharisees, their heart was all about self, and their answer to all the problems and everything was all about self, doing it themselves, trusting in themselves, being proud of themselves. They had a self-help approach to being good, and they deceived themselves into thinking that they were clean and holy and right. And on their own, Jesus points out that this self-deception doesn't help us. It only increases the hardness of our heart and puts us into a whole lot more of a painful situation and makes things a whole lot worse in an even more wicked condition. And he does so with this little parable about demons who come in and out of your life. Let's read this, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Okay? Just, ima- just imagine the parable that Jesus is talking about here. What he's saying is when you rely on self-help, and there's a lot of motivational speakers filling the pulpits and churches these days. Self-help books are number one book sellers in the Christian bookstores. Just be careful of self-help. Because when you're doing things to help yourself without relying on Jesus and repenting and humbling your heart, this is what's happening here. That demon seems to go out, but then it gets kind of restless and it says, I will return from my house from which I came. He's coming back after that self-help. doesn't work any longer. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also it would be with this evil generation. This is an important truth. We want to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we want to fix things and fix ourselves and do it in our own power so we get the credit and feel good. But when we do that, that demon's gone, but he's going to come back. And the condition is going to be worse than it was the first time. You know, oftentimes, an all-out sinner, wretched sinner, has an easier time coming to Christ than somebody who keeps this, you know, trusting in their own morality and thinks that they're good and thinks they don't need to humble themselves before Jesus and repent. And this is what happens to you, my friend, when you do that. There are lost people... There are people lost in this battle in every church. Is this you? If so, your hard heart has you in danger of things getting much, much worse. All you have to do, everyone, is humble our hearts together and lift Jesus high. And he lifts us up with him. And heals your relationships and restores you with him. Not our self-help, that doesn't work. Trust Jesus, let him give you the new life, the new self, and he removes those demons for good. Jesus is good, he's the king. Battle number one, legalism versus the Lord of the Sabbath, his grace. Battle number two, God's servant versus Satan's pawn. Battle three, calloused cynic or growing follower of Jesus Battle four, self-help versus new self. And battle five, earthly priorities versus Jesus' identity, an entirely new identity all about Jesus. And this is a battle. We have our earthly priorities, and then we have Jesus claiming to be our king. 
As all these battles here on these days that we've just read about are ensuing, deep within everyone's hearts, an unexpected party shows up. Let's look at verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Well, that's nice that his mom and brothers stopped by. What are they doing here? Um, the Bible doesn't actually say why they're there, but they were asking for him. And Jesus obviously loves his family, right? Of course. But he used their presence to make a final point about what he's teaching us today. Of all battles, we have earthly priorities. We have all these earthly loyalties, even our family. Jesus is greater than all of them. And none of those must be more important to us than God and King Jesus. Here's what he says, some profound stuff here, verse 48. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother and sister and mother. And in Jesus, we have an entirely new identity in him. It's a much greater one than all the other earthly priorities that we have the earthly identities that we have. There's no greater relationship and identity than who he makes us in himself. It means if he calls us to take our family from a place that we're comfortable to go somewhere else to follow him and serve him, then we do it. He has our priority. That's what he did in our family when he called us from Washington to come here uh, years and three and a half months ago and it was hard on some of our family members but Jesus is our new identity our priority and he's so gracious and so good it's been great anything else think of what you value in this life any earthly priorities any earthly relationships that you're putting on the throne ahead of Christ right now take them down and put Christ there instead he is the king, and of all the other relationships, and your family included, your earthly family, it's better to be in the family of God. And that's your earthly, and that is your priority. Seek ye first, he says, the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. That's the best situation for your family and relationships and other things you value. These are the battles today between hard and humbled hearts. As our next steps, let's just review those if you have been keeping notes or just listen to me as I review them real quick. And I want you to just identify uh, which ones are you struggling with the most and need to just humble your hearts and give your lives in this area to Jesus. This is how you will win all the battles in your life. The first one, legalism. Get off the hamster wheel of your own performance and the devastation if you're not perfect. Jesus is good. Tell Jesus, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I'm no longer trusting in my own self-righteousness, but in your righteousness, Jesus, and he takes all that away. Second was God's servant versus Satan's pawn. Tell Jesus, you're my king. I'm not going to be beat around and used as Satan's pawn anymore. The battle belongs to God. Number three, calloused, cynic, or growing follower of Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to keep hardening my hardening my heart against you, Jesus, any longer. I am ready to follow you and grow in you 
Jesus. Would you tell him that today? For self-help versus new self, tell Jesus you want him to clean your house and not your own efforts. But leave him out? No. Number five, affirm to Jesus your identity is in him, and that is your top priority. And that his family means the world to you. Anything about being a church, oh, that's a glorious thing about being a church. We're a local expression of God's family working this life out together and growing in Jesus and growing in all these ways and being on his mission. Love being a part of this church family. And two awesome things that Jesus has for his family here at Community Grace. We've been doing just amazing, I mean, just having so much fun just being a church together. And there's more stuff coming up. And I just want to inform you of the next couple things that you should be a part of if you're a part of this church. That's Easter is coming up. And we want to make full advantage of Easter, our worship and our maturity and our being engaging the world and being on Jesus' mission. And so the first thing I want to encourage you to do ask everyone here to do is these invest and invite cards. Let me explain that if, if you're not com- familiar with these yet. Uh, first of all, anybody sitting near the aisle, would you grab the stacks and pass them down, both big cards and small cards? Whoever's closest to the aisle, to the end, uh, grab the cards and pass them down a row. And take one big one and one small one. All right, if you've been paying attention over these last few weeks, what's the first thing that we always should do for everything? The first thing? Praise. So good. I'm so glad we're getting this. Have you been living that? Just everything. Just pray first. That brings in God's power. So what these are, Easter and Christmas are the two times in the year where virtually anybody is open to hearing more about Jesus, talking about it, maybe even coming to a church. So these are, uh, here's the instructions for these. Everybody have one of these, one of each. Uh, The big one says, these are the people God has placed in my life. God has placed them there who need to know and follow Christ. I will pray for them daily and invite them to attend an Easter service with me. And then there's a space for as many names as you want to write down. And then print your name, legibly, so we can read it, and put the big one in the offering boxes on the wall and do the same thing with the small one. Write those names and you take this one with you as a reminder to pray for them every day. So you have less than a month before Easter. It's like a three and a half week commitment here. I have taped them on my steering wheel, I've taped them on my bathroom mirror, I've carried them in my pocket. As a reminder, I'm going to pray for these people who God has put in our lives, and it's just awesome when people on our list start coming to Christ, and they do. So do that, and then reach out as as the Holy Spirit prompts you. That gets us ready for Easter. The concert of prayer, the Easter concert of prayer is in two weeks from today. And our goal is that 100 people or more will stay and eat lunch real quick and then come back and pray for all the names on these cards. It's a special thing, and you can just feel the Spirit's power in the room. So please put that on your calendars two weeks from today after this service. We'll pray for all these names. Okay, the next thing is another Grace in Action event that's this Saturday, and it's the Family Lego Build. And even if you don't have kids that like Legos, it doesn't matter. This is an all-church thing, and... You can be involved in it by praying for it and then donating Legos and inviting our community with that invitation card. Give it to any family you know with kids. And, um, and Heather, still, our children's director, still needs some volunteers for Saturday. So 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, her plans are amazing. There's going to be contests and competitions, and she needs more help with volunteers. Would you on your communication card write Lego volunteer 
if you want to hang out um, here this Saturday afternoon, it would be awesome. Well, brothers and sisters, godlessness is trying to sweep over our culture. Despite that, there are so many souls that want to know their creator and that will hear and listen and come if you ask them and talk to them and pray for them. So let's do this as Jesus has commanded. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we just... evaluate these battles within us how sinful our sin is and its devastating effects on our lives you've equipped us you're in us or you're willing to be and give us new life i pray that we will all humble our hearts not harden them anymore i pray for people who need help and counsel to come and get it and ask for it i pray that we'll really care and love the people that are in our church family and in our families and walk with each other through this. Lord, I pray for victory, and I pray that this church would be an obedient and and useful vessel into this community for the Lego build, for Easter, and and beyond. Well, give us eyes to see how you're going to answer all these things. I pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.